Well, I stand before you this morning with a personal message from Almighty God. And the message is this. Put your house in order because you're going to die. This is the message that the prophet Isaiah gave to King Hezekiah, but it's completely true of any, of, any, of, any one of us today. It seems like 2017 is going to go down as the, in the Gladys community as the year of the funeral. It's like we've been studying death 101. A little bit back into 2016, on December the 10th, we buried Ed Hilty. And this year so far, we've laid to rest my dad, Alazuk, my uncle Ernest, and Irvin. And we're here today to pay our last respects to Cameron before we place him under the sod. Ed, my dad, Ivan, Ernest, we all expected. They were old, they were sick and tired. Irvin's death, we did not expect, we were shocked. And now today we have Cameron, 23 years old and in the prime of life. We're beyond shocked. This one has rattled us to the core of our being. You'll see the graveyard, those of you that go to the grave. For the last year and a half, I was working there myself uh, for the lady that was kind of the caretaker, cleaning up a part of the graveyard that was overgrown in bushes and trees. Last fall, I cut down the brush, seeded new grass under a grove of young trees that I left. And never in a hundred years. Would I have dreamed that this lovely spring morning, we'd be burying Cameron there. So is this message of put your house in order only for the old? No, today it's shockingly apparent that it's a message for us all. And maybe you'll tell me that I'm scaring people. I say we might as well be honest. I cut some timber for a man some years ago. He was an engineer at Georgia Pacific. So he was obviously a very smart and intelligent man. Uh, although he was on his fifth wife, that didn't seem very smart to me. But he told me that he was an atheist. But then he made what he thought was a joke. He said, but if I was in a plane at 30,000 feet and all the engines quit, I'd become a Christian real quick. Well, I'm kind of slow thinking on my feet, and I didn't have a good answer for him right then. But as I was thinking later... I thought, how much better chance does he have of averting death standing on the ground as opposed to being in a plane at 30,000 feet when the engines quit? The way I see it, you've got a 100% chance of dying either way. I just know this, that Cameron was on the ground and his engine quit at age 23. Young person, old person, all of us in between. If you're waffling on whether to ignore God or no, you're gambling against very poor odds. Play the lottery if you must, but don't gamble on this one. 
I want to say a few things about Cameron myself. Appreciated what was said. and We're not here to make him out to be a complete saint. I just think if we tried to do that, Cameron would be very unhappy with us. He was a straightforward type of guy. You know, what you see is just what you get. He was fit, a picture of health, probably as strong as any man in this building. We didn't know that he had this condi condition that was lurking in his body like a time bomb. If I had to use one word to describe Cameron, it would be intensity. Everything he did, good or bad, he did with intensity. And I think I see that intensity in his young daughter, Mia. God bless you, child. I think I saw her over here. Over the years, I've had several tree identification classes with the high school boys here. And I remember well the year that Cameron was in the class. Most of the guys, you know, would take a minute, look at the tree, and write something down, whether they knew what it was or not, but not Cameron. Round and round the tree he would go. Um, looking up, looking down, looking at the bark, up at the leaves. Uh, thinking, smelling. He even moved his head with intensity. Everything he did was quick. The other guys would actually get frustrated with him. They were already oh, up here at the next tree and he was still back there trying to figure that one out, determined to get it right. Then our paths didn't cross much for several years, which is now one of my regrets. I wish Robbie and I and Cameron and would have done some more things together. I'm just realizing now how much his interests were like mine. Woods and nature. But then the first of this year, Cameron and Rebecca began attending our church meetings at what we're calling Covenant Fellowship. And he was very excited about being a part, like was said already. And you know, when you see a young 23-year-old guy excited about church, that means there's some good things going on in that man's heart. And in a meeting just several weeks ago, I think Sonny mentioned this, he gave his testimony for him and Rebecca. He said this, we both love Jesus and confess him as Lord. We're excited to be part of this, meaning the church. We want to serve God and all of you too. I have a few words to the family. Rebecca, my heart goes out to you. You are a very young widow. Maybe the youngest of any widow that I'm personally acquainted with. We want to be there for you. The rest of you, Robbies and Harveys. I'd like to name, name you all, but for the sake of time, My heart's especially tender towards Robbie. He's my brother. He's a good and a kind man. Kinder than me, even, if you can imagine that. I'm five years older than him, and I used to pick on him something awful when we were young, but he still ended up being good and kind. And I thought with all they've had to face in the last 20 years, I thought for sure they had enough pain in their life. 
And now this. I also want to mention Seth. Seth and Cameron, the names were usually mentioned together. They were best friends and they married sisters. Seth told, told me we did everything together, I mean everything. And I think that was probably true of the good and the bad. Seth told someone else that they even failed kindergarten together. So guys, let's keep a hand on Seth's shoulder. He's going to need it. He just lost his dad too. So all of you, we care for you. It's like a light has gone out of your life. But I do want to say I've watched you grieving. And I want to commend you on what I've seen. I see you crying easily and often. I see you laughing at times too. I think you're grieving in a very healthy way. God bless you as you keep on with the process. So how does a person even begin to cope with a loss this staggering? I think we may be tempted to say along with Mary and Martha, Lord, if you'd have been here, our loved one would not have died. And when we can't understand these things, we can easily get offended at God. In John 6, some people got offended at some of Jesus' teachings and they began to leave. And Jesus asked the disciples, will you also go away? And Peter answered with these very insightful words, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. So this is a very big problem. If we go away, we're going away from the very one that can heal our wounds. Sonny mentioned a little bit already about Mary and Martha. We read about in John 11 when their brother Lazarus died, they both said the same thing. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. But I like what Mary did. When she said that, she said, it says she fell at his feet and said those words. So Rebecca, family and friends, I implore you in this thing that we can't begin to understand. You need to pour out your feelings of sorrow and pain. You, mean, you, you may need to say with Mary and Martha that it almost seems like the Lord must not have been here because Cameron died. I would say go ahead and cry and say all those things. But please, please make sure you fall at the feet of Jesus when you do. He'll understand. He won't turn you away. He feels your pain. It's obvious that he felt Mary and Martha's pain. He could have said something like this. Come on, ladies, where's your faith? I'm going to raise Lazarus in just a few minutes. No, it says he was deeply moved and he wept with them in the middle of their pain. I think Jesus is <clears throat> deeply moved this morning. There's a song that an African choir sings that's very meaningful to me. The, the, the choir is fr from Rwanda. I don't know how many of you know your history, but uh, in the little country of Rwanda, 17 years ago, there was a genocide. At least 800,000 people were killed, almost 10% of the country's population. So these people know a little bit, they know more than a little bit about pain and suffering. 
And the song asks the question, where is God? And they sing it in a beautiful African language, but the English meaning is scrolling on the bottom of the screen. It's very moving to watch. The title is Iba Arihe, I-B-A-I-R-I-H-E. You should look it up. And I'll just read you the English meaning. Of course, it's not poetic in English, but the, the uh, message is very profound. Where is he? Where is God? When things get out of hand, why does he appear to be indifferent? Where is he? Oh, where is he? Sounds a little like Job, doesn't it? Where is he? I know he has the ability to steal trouble, to end calamities in war. Where is he? Where is his presence? And then the answer. He is still in the very same place that he was when his son agonized and he took no action. He is not indifferent. He is touched by the feeling of the hurting. But we have to be purified by the refiner's fire. Therefore let us comfort one another, though our way is through hardship. There is a God and he never left us. Let's revisit a little the question of what does it mean to put your house in order? What's involved? It could be as simple as physical things. I heard that Cameron was concerned about the mortgage on his house and had made provisions for that to be taken care of if something would happen to him. That's good. He had that in order. But what about the affairs of the soul? It's a much bigger question to us than just the physical things. There's a song that's a favorite of mine that goes like this. This earthly house is gonna soon decay And my soul's gotta have somewhere to stay So we've got a little problem here. In fact, we've got a great, big, humongous problem. It seems that when our first father, Adam, sinned, the genetics of death, both physical and spiritual, passed on to all mankind, including us. So we're in real trouble. What do you do when you're in trouble and beyond your power to fix? Neighbor Billy Joe Poindexter told me one time that he was in a whole heap of trouble. And he didn't tell me what the trouble was, and I didn't ask. Might be a Poindexter secret. Anyway, he went to the lawyer and he laid out his predicament before the lawyer. And the lawyer studied it over a while and he said, well, he said, go get all the money you have and all the money you can gather from your friends and bring it to me and I'll see if I can get you out of this fix. And I guess he did. But our trouble is we've got a death sentence hanging over us and no amount of money is enough to free us from our sentence. There's another song that brings this truth home that Myron Heidi and I sing sometimes. And it says, you can't hide sinner, you can't hide. 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 You get the message yet? Adam and Eve tried it. Didn't work then and won't work now. The first verse of the song says, You can't hide, no need to try. You can't get by, no way, no how. God's got your number, he knows where you live. 
Death's got a warrant out for you. So on one hand, we're sinners with this death sentence. And on the other hand, the judge of all the earth is just. And he can't abide anything sinful. You see what we have here? We got this great gulf fixed between who we are, who God is. Let me ask you a question. Do you want, do you want justice? Is that what you're interested in? It's a big cry in the world today. Everybody wants justice. Not me. I absolutely don't want any parts of justice. Justice is getting what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. What about mercy? Mercy is as good as far as it goes. Mercy is withholding what you really deserve. What I'm really looking for is grace. Grace is receiving good that we don't deserve. It's what we need. It's what we've got to have if, if this gap is going to come together. But where can we find it? What a dilemma. We are sinners with this sense of death hanging over us and a just God who can't fudge on his justice and with whom there is no arguing. I heard of a guy once who thought he had been charged with something a little bit wrongly. And he had all these arguments in place. And when he went to the, before the judge, he was going to give all these arguments why he shouldn't be charged with whatever the charge was. But he said when he got in there and the judge was sitting up there on his big chair and in, with his big black robes and the judge asked him if he was guilty, he said the only thing he could say was, yes, sir. And multiply that feeling many, many, many times over. And you have a small feel of how it would be to stand before a just God. The second verse of the Can't Hide Sinner song says, Death is a police stalking through the land, serving the notice on every woman and man. Apply for a lawyer, the next thing you do, cause death's got a warrant out for you. All right, we have a clue here, what we need to do. The next thing you do, if you haven't done it, apply for a lawyer. We need an advocate. We need somebody to go between, somebody to bridge that great gap between the righteousness of a just God and the colossal sinfulness of ourselves. And today, may I recommend to you Jesus. I want to read a few verses from Colossians 1. Beginning in verse 12, it says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I like that word rescue. I read that out of the NIV. You know, when you hear of somebody's rescue, it, it doesn't read like this. It doesn't say... He was shipwrecked on the reef, and after swimming for hours, he came onto a ship's timber, and he hung on all through the dark and stormy night, and as the morning light was breaking, he walked safely up on the shore. That's not a rescue. That man saved himself. 
But we're in more trouble than that. There's no timber seaworthy enough to take us to shore. The night is too dark and stormy. In fact, the shore we are looking for is on the other side of the ocean in comparison. What we need is a rescue. And that rescue is grace. And it seems like the Apostle Paul gives us verse 13 about being rescued. <clears throat> and then he decides to give us the things that qualify Jesus to be our rescuer, to be our advocate, to be our lawyer, as it were. Now, I'm not a theologian, and at my age, I won't live long enough to develop into one. But even I can recognize that these truths here in the next section are deep, important, and amazing truths. So I want to read <clears throat> verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the <clears throat> invisible God. <coughs> the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have a supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. As I read through this, I see eight things that show the absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ over all things. And if we have him on our side as our advocate, as our lawyer, We've got the best there is. So I'll just quickly go down through the things I see here. Number one, he's the image of the invisible God. You know, God is a spirit which I don't understand. But Jesus took on flesh and bone. He came down to earth. People could see and touch him. He was the firstborn over all creation. This doesn't mean that he was, as some people mistakenly believe, a created being. It rather means that just as the firstborn son had certain rights and privileges in the Old Testament economy, Jesus has those same rights and privileges in the whole universe in relation to all creation. In fact, it says, by him all things were created. Creation speaks of deity. Created things don't go on to create other things. God creates. He was before all things. This doesn't mean he had a beginning. It would be better to say that before all things, Jesus was. In fact, Jesus makes a statement in John 8 that says it the best way of all. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And that speaks of his eternal existence. He holds all things together. He's actively involved in the universe today. Number six, he's the head of the church. 
We get it mixed up sometimes. We think it's our church when in fact it's his church. Number seven, he's the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first one to triumph over death in a resurrection body. You know, poor Lazarus, he got raised, but he, at some point he had to go through it all over again and die. <clears throat> Number eight, all the fullness of God dwells in, in him. He was God. He is God. And there's a similar list in Hebrews 1, the first ten verses, and it ends with a verse that says, God says this about his son. Your throne, O God, will last forever. So God the Father is saying that about his son and calling him, O God. Especially like verses 21 and 22. We were enemies, alienated from God. But now he's reconciled us by Christ's body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is powerful. This is the Christ who shed his blood, laid down his sinless life to reconcile us back to God. This is the advocate. This is the lawyer we've been looking for to set us free. This is the one hope that we have for Cameron. This is the one and only hope we have for us. Verse 22 says he can present us holy and without accusation. This I can barely fathom. He can do that for Cameron. He can do that for me. Hallelujah. By the way, Cameron heard this last section from Colossians just last Sunday. This was part of the subject matter for the message at church that day. It's time for me to close, and we haven't even talked about heaven. We should have. But I think the most important thing is that we find ourselves safe in the arms of Jesus. <clears throat> then we'll... Wherever he is, we'll be also, heaven included. And I would remind you that he forces himself on no one. We have to choose and yield to him, each one of us personally ourselves. But why on earth wouldn't we? In closing, I want us to imagine a courtroom scene. Now I know, you'll say, I, I can tell you're not a theologian with this, but I know it won't be exactly this way. But in principle, something like this actually does happen. And this is a trial we're going to talk about. And not just any trial. It's the trial for your soul and for mine. And the judge of all the earth is seated there in his high and holy place. And you're seated there as well with that sentence of death hanging over you. And the thing is, you know perfectly well that you're guilty, just as I know it. And there's nothing we can say to argue with that except, yes, sir, we're guilty. The prosecuting attorney, he stands up and he has a whole sheaf of papers. It's a list of your sins. And you know that down there in that stack, there are so many things down in there with which you're so ashamed. But just as he begins to speak, your lawyer stands up, Jesus the supremely qualified one. And when, with one look, silences the prosecuting attorney. And then Jesus speaks. And he says, This man's sins have been covered. They are paid in full. I paid the debt myself. And for good measure, he shows the scars in his hands. And the accuser slips away with nothing to say. 
you stand there holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation, set free from the sense of death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and Jesus has that covered. And the grave is only a temporary resting place for our tired, worn out, broken bodies. Is there any wonder that the name of Jesus will be praised throughout eternity? May you find comfort in these words. Go in the hope of the resurrection.